The following episode of the 9pm Edict isn't... Uh, no, it isn't. Uh, at least it isn't a normal episode of uh, the Edict. Hello, I'm still Gary, and uh, this is my third outing as guest co-host of Well May We Say, uh, a progressive politics and somewhat uh, ranty podcast from Jeremy Siaperko in Melbourne, which these days, of course, we call Quarantine City. Uh, best of luck to everyone down there. Uh, and also on this episode is Denise Siaperko. Uh, you may guess their relationship. Uh, this episode of Well, 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 maybe say, although I can't say it very well at all, uh, is titled Detachable Frydenberg uh, because, uh, look, you'll find out. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and just like last time, I'm listening back uh, to it for the first time too. So um, I hope I enjoy it. You enjoy it. We will all enjoy it. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Darug people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, adding knowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and the modern Australian nation has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European arrival. Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 133 for Saturday 25th of July 2020. I'm Jeremy Siapico and each week I'll be joined by different guest hosts to help me discuss what's just been happening in Australia, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest hosts are returning guest hosts, Stilgarian. Hi Stilgarian. Hello there Jeremy. And Denise Siapico. Hello. Hi Denise. So, we were going to record this on Friday and then we decided that... We remembered Friday afternoon, things happen in Australian politics, and, and as Jeremy edits the podcast, it becomes completely out of date immediately. So instead, we're recording Saturday morning <laughs> because there was a press conference with the Treasury yesterday afternoon in which he gave us some, some really reassuring hints about where, where we're going. Oh, you're going with the inspiration element. <laughs> I was going more with the telling us where he was planning on taking things, but both of them were disturbing. And National Cabinet was sitting in terms of whether or not we were going to, uh, there were going to be any dramatic. Alterations, I suppose, in terms of what happened there, nothing much. Uh, Western Australia said no to the bubble with Northern Territory, South Australia and Tasmania for some reason. It's almost like... This is the COVID-19 bubble, not a kind of dome over the whole of Australia. Well, Western Australia would have a dome if they could. They would. If they could build a dome, they would. But yeah, it was the travel bubble that Friday they liked it, then this morning they decided, no, 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 actually we don't like it. I'm actually surprised they haven't dug a moat on the side of Western Australia. And not just now, but like just generally. As soon as... As soon as the, the um, economic situation flipped and we weren't subsidising them as much and they were then being asked to you know put some of that money back to the rest of the country that they'd got from all the mining. They, they wanted that moat. Yeah, well, they've got, they've got a big open desert there, um, which, which almost does the job. And, of course, only two paved roads from the east, one near the coast in the south and one near the coast in the north. And they have a bit of a fence that, that's supposedly rabbit-proof. Ah, so we just need to upgrade that to make a virus-proof fence. Build the virus-proof fence. Build the virus-proof fence. <laughs> It's not as 
it's not as catchy as some other slogans. It's no. not. Maybe they could talk to some of Trump's sub- subcontractors about building a fence. Well, talking about uh, Australian politicians taking a lead from fringe right-wing lunatics overseas. Well done with the segue. Oh, it doesn't work now because we've just drawn attention to it. Yeah, sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Frydenberg, yesterday, what, what was his quote? Uh, this, this is so. This, apart from the one that, that is a deeply personal one that, that I think Denise and I will need to discuss later, or maybe shortly after we discuss this element. What, what was the really disturbing thing which uh, took us back to the eighties? Well, you know, Frydenberg, while talking about his uh, economic update to the press club yesterday, talked about a couple of his heroes, his economic heroes. Oh, what was the direct quote? What did he say? It is important to go to the supply side. Thatcher, Reagan, that's an inspiration. Imagine turning to. Right now, I'm being like, you know what country we should emulate more? The US. Everything's gone really well for them oh. in the last... <laughs> and the UK in the 80s. That, absolutely. Oh. Were they the reforms they had to have, though? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Well, there was a lot of deregulation that happened in the UK, especially, and that's when they really started breaking down their Medicare system. Like, that's when Thatcher really uh, started... Well, there's no such she thing pushed as a society. lot of people. Yeah, she started pushing a lot of people into poverty. She people who were already pushed into poverty because of um, changes of industry and record unemployment levels. She further pushed into poverty by you know a lot of deregulation by trying to take away their Medicare system by smashing, by, the, unions. By smashing the, unions. the unions by you know a lot of the protections and things that protected workers as well as people and the environment all got blown away and that's what he's talking about he's talking about deregulation i'm actually going to challenge one bit of that and that's the environment bit because margaret thatcher was smash the coal she did she did (laughs) stop stop the coal mining uh i was thinking more in terms of some of the other environmental Mm -hmm. changes she was very uh um conscious of the environmental issues that were emerging Reagan less so but there were some reforms in the US around that time I find it really odd that I'm going into back yeah, I don't, I don't like uh, this. for for <laughs> for two of the the market reform liberal uh, uh neoliberal people but isn't isn't supply side economics is cutting taxes and deregulation so insofar as if if, if Reagan did do any environment and I, I haven't really looked into the environmentalism environmentalism in the US under Reagan, but I'm willing to bet given his focus and, and um, look, if anybody wants to really listen to some of the more deranged shit that uh, Reagan got up to, was it, a, was it a dollop that really got into it or was it a hardcore history that really it got into it? It was a dollop that really got into uh, Reagan. I think there was a hardcore history that we really dug into the, the, the weird and terrible life of uh, Ronald Reagan and, and... Oh, no, maybe it was that. I think it was, I think it was not a hardcore history, um, Behind the Bastards. Mm. Robert Evans. Have you heard Behind the Bastards? I have not, but I will throw into the mix a podcast from the UK called Evil Genius, where they discuss a famous person and they have to vote at the end. No, no, it's nothing in the middle. Are they evil or are they a genius? And Margaret, they did have an episode on Margaret Thatcher, so... Presumably they came to the conclusion evil. I can't remember, but I, I think so. <laughs> Look, well, if they didn't, if they came to the conclusion Margaret Thatcher was a genius, then then, then the uh, encouragement to listen to that podcast has, has disappeared. Um, any podcast that came to that she conclusion. She did invent... She, Margaret Thatcher did invent the thing that makes soft-serve ice cream not glug up. She invented it? Yeah, she was an industrial chemist. Was she really? There you go. Anyway, we're yes. way off track here. So, supply-side economics, uh, de- deregulation and cutting taxes. Now, I uh, obviously we've seen this week that the uh, 
federal government intends to never waste an opportunity, uh, sorry, never waste a crisis. Uh, so they're going to uh, do what, what was it, one tick environmental reforms. And yeah, so, they're so going basically easier, easier for companies to sort of skate through that sort of thing. Yeah, they're basically saying that the, uh, the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, they're going to rush through some laws to change it so they can rush through like 15 big infrastructure projects to help boost the economy without having to have the full environmental review on them. Well, it's funny, weird that that happens to be one of the priorities during a pandemic. It's like, it's almost like the people who wanted that were look, waiting for an excuse. It's like whenever anything bad happens in, in security um, terms, any kind of public, you know, terrorism is the moment where the ASIO goes, oh, what, what's next on our list? Oh, we definitely need this thing. Like, Well, you'll be shocked, shocked, I tell you, that there is a proposal up uh, to fast-track 32 mining projects in New South Wales to drive the economy and thousands of jobs, etc. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, we, we we didn't want it, we wouldn't do it in normal times, but but because of the pandemic, well, this we is have from to. Uh, the the mining <laughs> lobby in New South. Oh, the New yes. South Wales Minerals Council came up with this idea. Uh, Funny that. So yes, I did see someone tweet along the lines of of uh, I can't remember the exact lines, but it was something like. Yes, the the Smithtown Pizza Shop suggests a Smithtown Pizza Shop led <laughs> economic that's recovery. Right. Well, so, um, so the Oz had a story like last week. It was basically um, the Business Council of Australia uh, proposes that uh, we can get away out of the, the the COVID crisis with more tax cuts for business. You're yes. like, yes. Also, water is wet. Yes. And the re- Retail Council has. Uh, gone up yesterday again and said that really what they need to help us get out of COVID is more power to change workers' hour entitlements. <laughs> Look, there is a crisis here, and the only way to deal with it is the thing that we politically want at all times. Oh, look, and that's what lobbying is about, but I think... All of these people are going to get quite uh, an easy run on this uh, as we go towards the, uh, the, the actual budget, finally, in October, if Parliament isn't cancelled again. Uh, because here's another quote from uh, Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer. I can tell you the first cab off the rank will be labour market flexibility and a continuation of the industrial relations reforms that accompanied the JobKeeper introduction. Hang on. So but when they talk about labour market flexibility, they mean screwing over unions and reducing workers' conditions. That's 100% yeah. what that means. That's yeah. correct. Right. So, yes. so the two things that unite everybody in the Liberal Party, there are only two things. Like they, they differ on some social stuff. They differ on even environmental stuff. But the two things that you you believe if you're joining the Liberal Party are fuck unions, bosses should be able to sack workers more easily, workers <laughs> should have shitty rights, they should be ground out under the heel of their employers who are beautiful job creators mm. uh, and they well, can only right. create jobs if those jobs are as shitty as possible. And two, yes. you believe that the most important thing you can do for the economy is cut taxes for the rich. Like those are the two and they've already got the tax cuts through. And they're not going to change those. And it doesn't matter that, you know, one might say maybe the economy with this what, $800 billion. What's it? Is it $800 billion? What, what, what the huge, it's record breaking. Uh, 180-something billion. It's a 84 billion in the last financial year. 184 up next. Eh. So, not much. I mean, governments can just print money. That's the thing. This, this is all meaningless. Yes, in terms of you could turn around and be like, hang on, maybe we can't afford those tax cuts anymore. No, because that's the thing they most believe in and their, their backers most believe in. All they care about is times are good, tax cuts. 
Times are bad. Tax cuts. Actually, always tax cuts. <laughs> and tax cuts, and tax if cuts, times tax are bad, cuts. then we just have to starve the poor. So obviously, the other thing they've done now is they've, they've uh, they're going to cut. No, the one thing they are propo- they are proposing to change is to reduce the amount that people who are on the very margins are receiving and cutting it by is it 250 a uh, fortnight that they're cutting it? Yeah. The go, so go, it would payment? go down from uh, 500 to 250. 550 to from 550 to 250. So yeah. For- yeah. Yeah. So cutting by 300. So you know, obviously, at this time, what needs to happen is that the poorest people in the country need to lose 300 bucks a fortnight. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But tax cuts are important. But tax cuts. And uh, he said rich. in Freidenberg said not in his press uh, press club thing yesterday, but when he was doing the announcement about what was going to be, you know, this economic outlook that, you know, the jobs we have in the future aren't going to be the same as the jobs we have now, which to me sounds like what he's really saying is suck it up, princess, and adjust your way of living and take the crappy job at the crappy pay that we well, give the you, new job that we're thing- generous enough to give to you. What's the new planning thing that they've announced? So this job seeker, job it's job maker job trainer job trainer the job tugger jog walker job walker um job so, so basically they just want people who are they want people who are trained in, in who have spent their lives building up a career in a certain area where it's been suppressed because of the pandemic and the economic circum- circumstances they want those people to be trained to go and do retail like where there's already not enough jobs for the people who do want those jobs but yep. they just, they want to be able to, more than anything, they just hate the idea of giving money to people and they don't want people to be able to stick in the careers that they had and have every any kind of leverage should, and power. Every person should work in construction, whether or not they are fit, able, or in a position to, every person should just return, retrain to work, which, and I don't construction care if you're an engineer, labor. Le- go and pick fruit. Construction is skilled labor. Like, the, they're talking about more apprenticeships, so, you know, things like, Construction, electrics, like all of these sorts of things have skills, but they also require a certain uh, ability of your body, a certain, like you just, you can't just say to a 50 year old person who's been retrenched, you can, re- you can become a laborer on a site. They may or may not be able to have the physical ability to do that. Like, And, and more to the point, uh, you know, that's what, well, we don't have backpackers at the moment, but that's what backpackers were for to do the, the laboring, just lift this, carry that. As you say, Denise, yeah. everything else is a skilled job. You know, I, I don't want some bozo who used to stack shelves at, at a supermarket now being a scaffolder. Actually, oh my God, scaffolding thing. is a hugely skilled job. You have to have so many tickets for it. Laborers, um, just even the having recently come off a construction site, <sighs> laboring is not an unskilled job anymore. Uh, he, was saying, he was actually saying that the, the retail yeah. is the unskilled oh, job. Oh no, but, but what I'm saying... Like, also, retail is very labor-intensive too. Yeah. And and um, I so I'm very depressed about this whole situation. Not just that we have... A treasurer who's saying, you know, we should go down the path of the that the US has just gone over the last 30, 40 years. That's, that's a good model for us to follow. Reagan, Thatcher, supply, supply, was the supply side economics the thing that um, Bush called voodoo economics? Was that what V O O D O? Was that the, the film first bill that we Ben Stein's going on about voodoo economics? Something D O O economics. Wasn't that voodoo economics? The supp- voodoo economics. Oh, yes, it was. It's a popular phrase first used by then-candidate George H.W. Bush to cast doubt on Reagan's economic policies. There you are. I got it right. Um, So, yeah, so it's nice that Frydenberg's going with voodoo economics. Just as an aside, that shows, too, that the Republican Party is not uh, as prone to the groupthink that we have with the Liberal Party in Australia. Well, they uh, are now. I think they are now. I think one of Denise's friends or something who'd been sort of... People who were at the centre a little bit and then sort of... Tilt a little bit to the right, 
And then I, I feel like if you if you imagine the, the political spectrum as like a, a, a peak, I'm like pointing my feet, my hands together in sort of a, a, a tri, a, a, an inverted V. And, you know, the centre... It's called a triangle. Well, it doesn't have a base. Is this going to be like a Maslow's hierarchy of... No, politics? I'm thinking more like a mountain. So you've got in the centre, you've got a little sort of a little okay. flat bit where people can sort of sit there and, and bloody-mindedly... In fact, actually, it can be a bit of a divot. It can go down a bit because people are like, I'm defiantly centrist no matter what. You know, if, if, this is the ABC. If, you, if, if uh, somebody on the, on the right says something and somebody on the left says something, then that's, the neutral point is to repeat both of those things. It doesn't matter how fringe the, the one on the right is or whatever. You know, I'm just a centrist. I've got to hear from both sides of this mountain. But it feels like on each side of the mountain, there are, there are some little points where people end up. And I think on the left side of the mountain, it's like not far from the centre. And then sort of halfway down, you've got two bits where people end up as they sort of t- topple slightly away from the centre. But on the right, it feels like there's no stop until once you go a little bit to the right now, you go down the, this rabbit hole of, of Sky News and, and the, the Murdoch papers and whatever Facebook shows you. And I think you plummet down to all lives matter, blue lives matter, refugees are coming to steal our jobs. And kill. Like, I, th- I feel like that gentle slope is now like a, a precipitous drop and it only takes a little bit off to the right, the, the side of centre now for people to just plummet down that rabbit hole. I think you're right because the uh, parties like the Labor Party in Australia and the Labor Party in the UK uh, have moved towards the, the, the centre, if you like, and yet they are still called the yeah. left. The Greens are now the extreme left, at least if you're on the right. If, if without and moving, yet, really. like they're, In fact, if anything, the Greens have moved to the right. right. Yes. I mean, they're uh, on the left from the centre, but they've moved, yeah. Because of the pragmatics of actually being able to get people into a party. And also because all the Democrats left the Democrats and joined the Greens and like so sort of like moved, <laughs> the old Greens became, you know, moved towards the centre a bit. Yes. Um, but, when there, but when there are gripes about far left policies, I'm going... No, we're not collectivising farmland. Mm. We're, we're not. We're not giving everyone equal pay and and sending them off to the factories and working. No, hang on, hang on. Far left policy. Are you saying, Stilgarian, that you think that there is a difference between brutal authoritarian state-owned, you know, state state-owning the means of production and everybody being paid the same, uh, and uh, you know, removing all elements of private enterprise? You saying you see a difference between that and having a, an adequate social safety net where people don't starve? You saying that you don't think those are exactly the same thing? Well, I mean, not in my first five-year plan. No. <laughs> like, seriously, they're like, that's communism. There'll be no incentive to work if people aren't starved to death. Exactly. Well, and I think Albo has done a fantastic job of showing just how. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cut a mic, cut a mic. <laughs> I think Albo has done a fantastic job this week of showing just how far to the right he's come. Oh my god! So yeah, this is why I was really what I was getting at. I'm so depressed. Like, okay, so the libs are over there. You would think at least we would have some kind of balance from the AL, from the opposition, and I, yet this I, is what they're choosing to do. I have some quotes. I have uh, the transcript from his interview with Frank Kelly the other day, uh, and uh, they're talking about New Start first of all. And he's like, well, I accept that $40 a day was not enough to live on. I also accept the idea that unemployment payments, new start should be higher than the age pension is not tenable. But I accept that there are 13 people unemployed for every job. And I think that overwhelmingly when a job is advertised, huge number of people are applying. 
I don't think that this is a time for government to essentially be running out the dual bludger argument, which is so dear to the heart of conservative governments from time to time. The fact is the jobs aren't there. But we haven't argued for a permanent doubling of New Start. He's trying to have it both ways. He's trying to basically say, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we screw the dole bludger argument. We need to increase New Start. But but we don't want you thinking that we want to double it. We don't want you to think that we're thinking that we're going to raise it too much. But also, we won't, I'm not going to give a, a precise answer, is it? Because Carol Kelly's like, so what do you want? So... And he's, he refuses to give it. He's just he like, responds, oh, we'll tell you about it later. Yeah, he responds, we do have a view, Fran, which is that we won't be the government until, I hope, after the next election. Well, that's usually how it happens. Yes, you have an election and a government is formed. How is that a response to what do you want? Oh, well, we'll tell you when we're in government? <laughs> no, that's not how that works. And Albert, It is so if you're Donald Trump. But, a- uh, the, sorry, let's stay with Australia. Yes. So the government is proposing to cut $300 a fortnight from the income of poor people in, in this pandemic. No, 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 Jeremy. They are putting up JobSeeker with an extra $250 a fortnight compared with a year ago. Whilst removing $550. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Compared, but compared with compared with the, the situation it's, now, it's it's just a chocolate ration, mm. Jeremy. The chocolate ration is being increased by two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll just pour. All, I'll, I'll just take my computer and chuck it down the memory <laughs> hole, the fire with the fire pit wherever they. Yeah. They, yeah. But they're also cutting JobKeeper as well. So they're going to be cutting that from fifteen hundred a fortnight to around about six hundred a fortnight. Um, it's not finalized what the actual amount's going to be because they haven't put out the what the draft legislation is. And Albo's big thing about that, isn't that, no, we need to keep JobKeeper at the right amount. No, we need to be encouraging business to keep these people on. It's that it's unfair that some people didn't qualify for JobKeeper. Yes, it is unfair that people are who qual- who should qualify, contract workers, people who haven't been there for a full year, people who traditionally work contract roles like in the arts and things like that. But then he makes a big point and he drills his point home that some people made more money out of JobKeeper. Some people ended up getting more than their weekly wage would have been previously. And can you believe that we paid, the budget is blown because we paid some people more. The government fucked that up. Just the idea that a Labour leader isn't seeing the idea. Wait, 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 wait. I don't go about that. This is, so what you're saying is everyone should be paid the same. That's communism. <laughs> oh, actually, no, he, well, if everybody's being paid the same as what they were before, that's the opposite. That means if you're you're on a higher salary, the government should give you more. That's that. That was the whole liberals' idea with like paid parental leave. It's like, yeah. yeah, rich people should definitely get more money from the government. In fact, that's the liberals' idea about economics in general. Are you rich? Are you getting a fair? Well, then obviously the government should give you more. They know you've had a go. We should give you more of a go. You're rich. You deserve uh, more from the go. government. You get a go. You have two goes. You get yeah, exactly. two goes back. You give me one, so and I'll give you two it? back. No, that's the. And obviously the government should give more money to rich people than it gives to poor people. I mean, it just makes sense. It's rich people need Well, they've got so many expenses. (laughs) The idea that a Labour leader isn't looking at that and going, the idea that people before this were on less than 1,100 a fortnight, so it's 550. The idea that anybody is working and getting less than that, that's the issue. Not that the payment was too much, that the salaries are too low. The idea that a, a, a labour leader, the supposed representative of you know the the the, wor- the working class, the supposedly working hardworking Australians, the union movement, I remember them. That they're like the problem is that we weren't giving them as little as their salaries. Yeah. No, <laughs> if you if you want way, workers getting better conditions, then the safety net being higher is the way you achieve that. Because if the safety net is decent, employers will have to pay more than the safety net. The safety net being low is what drives 
conditions and salaries at the lower end down and then all the way down. It brings everybody's salaries down. Like this is the thing that Labor never points out, never argues, Mm. never makes the, the, the point about this. Two workers... The Murdoch press and the Liberals have been very successful in making you, on a low salary, resent the person who's getting Social Security. The dull bludger, we call them. And therefore selling to you that the important thing for you, you will benefit somehow if we starve that person more, if we punish them, yeah. if we make them do these... If, we, if we're going to chuck it people back now on mutual obligation from, like, next week, I think. So they've got to apply for the jobs that aren't there during a pandemic. It's deranged. But the idea that, that, that Labor and the Labor movement can't turn around and sell to workers the very obvious point that you benefit from there being a decent safety net. It pushes your conditions up. It gives you bargaining power against employers who want to exploit you because, yeah, if you can get five fifty a week, which is enough to live on, then they can't threaten to, to starve you on less than that. They have to give you better than that or you don't do the, or they won't be able to get workers. The only thing that improves workers' conditions is there being a safety net. And you're being sold a lie, the idea that that's against your interests. The only people whose interests the safety net is against are employers other than retailers. Retailers have, like, got both sides of it because on one hand, they want to be able to exploit their workers and pay them shit. But on the other hand, they also want money in the economy so they can sell stuff. So, like, they're on both sides of this coin. But other employers are the ones who benefit from being able to be like, well, take our conditions or starve to death in the gut. Well, I have a, a few things with actual numbers in them that I just wanted to say very quickly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, on this sort of thing. Okay. Uh, one is the Grattan Institute, which is a... Uh, they say they're a non-partisan think tank, but they describe themselves as supporting uh, liberal democracy in a globalised economy. They're sort of soft so, lefty. They, they, they go, they, but then they occasionally uh, do some nasty, they like do lefty with a bit of a nasty right-wing point in there sometimes. Well, they've said cash payments for everyone now. Yeah. Universal in basic Australia. income. That was their reaction to this uh, uh, sort of economic statement this week. Sally McManus, who heads up the uh, Australian Council of Trade Unions, uh, she said paid pandemic leave yep. as a thing. Which is vital because of the spread of it. Like this whole thing with the breakout in Victoria, and all that, it's basically people going, well, people not isolating when they're having tests, but also people having to go to work to stay alive. They're well, that's it. why I wanted. Well, that's why I wanted to mention to Victoria's $300 payout to, okay, you've had your test. It'll be a couple of days till you get the results. Here's $300. Yes. Stay the fuck at home. Yes. And it was a really good thing because he identified it in, it was identified in a press conference that, you know, um, well, it was oh, mentioned in a press conference. Dictator Dan with his regular yes. press conferences was, being re- quizzed by the press. It, it was <laughs> that identified that something mark. like 53% of people weren't isolating between having the test done and um, getting the results in. And a lot of those people, we weren't isolating because they are going to work and they needed to. And he said, so we need to do something about that. Because previously, the, the payment they are offering was $1,500 to stay at home once you tested positive. But he said, we need to do something. And two days later, they'd done something. Two days later, they said, there's now a $300 payment. There's no questions asked. You just have, you know, like you basically they have to call us and say, I've had the test done. I'm waiting for results. I'm, I need the $300. I don't have leave. Could you go and like get tested every three days? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? You know what, though? If, if somebody is desperate for the $300 enough to do that, yeah. sure. I mean, they may have picked it up in the meantime. Good. You've got, a, you've got a body of people who are willing to have a thing shoved up their nose every three days. And I, you know, like, hell, they are volunteering to be, be like the canary in the coal mine. If you get them from different areas, you've got an idea whether they've been exposed or not. You know what? People pay, you know, $300 is like a focus group. 
<laughs> actually, actually, that's true, isn't it? That that works well. Look, that that was a good idea. Yeah, I've mentioned the Grattan Institute yep. and something that Laura Tingle pointed to in an excellent analysis uh, at the ABC website on Saturday as we're recording this. Uh, she said, "Hey, hey, why isn't the federal government looking at?" Public housing—it's an incredible boost to the building industry. Yeah, it 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 helps with the housing shortage, whatever. But but Morrison says, or or Frydenberg said, they probably both said it at some point. Oh no no no, that, that's a state issue. Also, it's stuff <laughs> so, for poor so, people, this- not like home builder, which is for rich people. Which amusingly yes. that you mention that it's been seven weeks since home builder was announced, and the only places you can apply for it are in Tasmania. And South Australia. Nowhere else has an application. Yes, because the application forms isn't done the yet. Application forms haven't been designed in seven now, weeks. You say that, and you, we laugh at that. But um, this is a thing that I I want to actually point out to the ALP too. Just because you can criticise the government for something doesn't mean it's actually. Like, please look at the context of the thing you're fighting it for. So, in the case of Home Builder, that's a shit problem, a waste of public money. The longer that they don't do it, the better. I don't, I, I'm not fighting for them to do that more efficiently and get more of that crap money out to rich people. Great. You haven't done it. <laughs> Fantastic. The problem, is, the problem is they're still selling it. Like, they're still selling it as we have this money for Home Builder. Like, they're selling the small business loans. They announced $40 billion for small business loans. A billion of it was taken up. And in this economic recovery thing that he speech he gave the other day, he announced more money for small business loans. Oh, by the way, I do love it. And I, I don't want to get off the point that I was, I was trying to make about what, about picking the right battle because I want to go back to this point about the picking the right battle but in relation to whenever Morrison or Frydenberg talk about how they're going to address the, 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 the issues facing Australia have you noticed that they talk about business as the priority that, that it's, it is what we need to do for workers what we need to do for ordinary people is so that business keeps going it's like the work, instead of it being we need to, to the extent that we need to prop up business to help keep people work, you know, people alive and people's conditions okay, they've got the reverse. Like, they genuinely think the purpose of people is to support business rather than the purpose of business being to support people. They, they, everything that Morrison says, it's always like, we should do this stuff because it helps business, as if the corporate world is, is its own, the, the highest thing that we should be looking after the interests of. This goes back to your point before about... Uh, Jobs are created by businesses, but of course, if any business gets a little bit of extra money in these troubled times with an unpredictable future, it would actually be irresponsible of that business to take on more costs. That's right. For example, hiring more staff. Now sit on it. You'd want to, you know, you'd want to hedge that. You want to have some liquidity. You want to, you know, do that as opposed and- to giving the money to, say, ordinary members of the public where they actually increase the demand for labour. Give it to the company, they just want to sit on the money. Give it to people to spend, then the companies well, have to employ more people. spend it? Well, if you give it to thing. poor people, they will. If you give They'll it to rich will, people, they, they won't. Yeah. So if you, want, if you want to increase labour, if you want to increase jobs, you need to increase the things that people are, you know, that, that are, they're create the demand for those jobs. And you don't create that demand by giving money to companies. You create that demand by having people paying for the goods or services mm. that, that that company you know does which means which they brings need money. me directly back to something that Laura Tingle pointed out that one of the assumptions on which the economic statement was based this week was in the coming financial year or the current financial year we've just started it household consumption would be down 1.25% for the year and i'm thinking really 
you know, if if we're going to get unemployment up to nine percent by Christmas, and and an effective unemployment rate, what that's going to be about twelve or thirteen percent or something, you know, that's a tiny little drop, and it's a bit optimistic. It's also based on the world opening up from the first of January. The mm-hmm. international flights will begin this, that, and the other. And <laughs> sure, they will. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, and it was also based she- on the Victorian lockdown only being six weeks. Which is clearly going to have to be a bit longer. Yes. So the bit the bit that gets me is, uh, oh, sorry, back on the pick your battle and actually make the point. So Labor is not fighting for workers. It's not fighting for better conditions for ordinary people. That's the fight that they should be having. Instead, Albo puts out an ad um, about how Frydenberg's blowing the surp- Frydenberg, in talking to Lee Sales, said there was definitely, no matter what happened, there was definitely going to be a surface. We were back in black. You know, like, we got that point. Like, as soon as the pandemic hit, they had an excuse. Yes, we on the... Progressive people following politics are well aware that, that it was always a lie and they never had it. But you're not going to win that argument because you can't, you can't you take us to a parallel universe. The libs can just scream global pandemic unprecedented in our time. That's and always going to win it. right. Yeah. That's right. They're going to yeah, win that argument. It. You've got to cop it. And Frydenberg being like, you know, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, and you're going, aha. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. I think the quote, he was like, because Sale says to him, but what if things change? And he's like, it doesn't matter. We will definitely be there. That's fine. But that's like saying, you know, somebody's saying, no, no, I've, we've anticipated all the exigencies. But then an asteroid hits. Like, that, something out of left field like that. Yeah. Nobody, no reasonable person. You're not going to win that argument, Labor. That is not your fight. It's like Christine Keneally being like, you know, earlier in the year, being like, uh, I know how I can w- I can win a fight against the Libs. We'll be like, they're not cruel enough to immigrants. What about the ones coming on planes? <laughs> you freaking idiots. That isn't, you don't win those arguments. Yeah. Nobody who likes that shit is going to vote for you. They're going to vote for the Libs. And the people, like, all you're doing, it's like, okay, I don't know how much Labor support you're going to bleed to the Libs by doing that shit. You might bleed some Labor support to the Greens, but ultimately... As far as I'm concerned, that's the good. But the real harm that you do by doing that shit is you move the Overton window over to the right. And that is really that harmful. good old Overton window, it's a wonderful thing. Yes. Uh, I, I wish that they would stop moving it that way. You ne- Labor can't win while it's over there. You need to bring the Overton window back this way, you idiots. Mm. So, therefore, does the strategy have to be for the progressive side of politics to not nibble back at what the other side is doing, but put some stakes in the ground well to the left, for want of a better term. And just quietly, I I should mention to people who are unfamiliar with my views, uh, I think this whole left-right thing designed for the post-French Revolution (laughs) Parliament in France um, is possibly not the most sophisticated tool we should be using in the 21st century. But it's 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 a short get some back. Yeah, I I know, I know. And then you've got that vote compass thing, which is equally stupid. But if you get someone to put some stakes in the sand, put up get get someone to start proposing collectivisation of all farmland and 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 an increase to tractor production or whatever. So copy the libs. So what the libs have is they have their fringe right righties. Like yep. Pauline Hanson's just throwing throwing bombs over like to the to, to the extremes, and that makes yes. anything you know medium right, which would or used to be far right, for, that the libs want to do seem 
bit more centrist uh, by comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pauline Hanson is a bit, you know, it's a bit racist yeah, with her comments off. on immigration. But let's look at Australia's population policy. Yeah. Ah. You know, and and now you can include immigration in the mix, or since that's all been a bit affected by the pandemic. It's bonk one out for Josh. Okay, right. I do want to get. To, I want. Uh, let, let's go back to bonk one out for Josh. But, but while we're on this spectrum thing, I agree with you that they need to set down. And I think that what they can do is have some lefty people going off the edge of you know do do the far side, much past the Greens. Um, but you, the Labor Party and the Greens need to both be, and they and they can both. They you know, the Greens can be more left than Labor, and they can they can pitch on things, but. They need to pick their topics. Immigration, budget, tax cuts and shit are not arguments that you can tinker around with from the left and win. Your strong thing is not tax. Your strong thing is public services, starving people, pe- people getting decent conditions from their, from their employers because there's a safety net. That's what they need to be arguing and argue it relentlessly like the Libs argue on their, sh- their favourite shit until the media has to listen to you, has to give you some attention because you're not talking about the other shit. You're, the Libs don't refuse to talk about cutting public services. They don't, get, they don't get involved in this argument, so the media don't ask them about it. But Labor can pick, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about public health and how the pandemic has hi- highlighted how much be- more resources need to be going into public health and how that's... What, what can suppress things like this? How much, how much harm, you know, 30 years of neoliberalism has done by the efficiency dividends. Cutting all of the fat out of these services means that there's no fat to rely on when you need it. Like that, that's, that capacity, that excess capacity that is not necessarily economically advantageous during good times, it's very handy to have there when things go to shit. It, you know, there are plenty of things. So, you know, say, safety net... Which the libs were starting to concede had to be improved. Why the hell Labor can't seize on that? Yeah. And why the hell Labor's going? Oh no, the libs improved it too much. Fuck you, Jesus, you idiots! <laughs> yeah. Like this is an opportunity to highlight the benefits when the other side had to concede the importance of it. Yeah. Anyway, bonk one for Brian. Getting emotional Josh. about that one. Yes, bonk one out. I'm, I'm really very passionate speaking right now, of darling. Passion, Josh, speaking of passionate, Josh wants us to one out for Josh. Yeah, well, you know, there has been no aphrodisiac in my life like Josh Frydenberg. I, I, um, I tried that last night. I put on his speech. To say like Peter Costello, one, one for the mother, one for the father, and one for the country. We sat down. We had the candles. I, say, I put on his press conference. Uh, what I can say is, uh, people should feel encouraged. And he had that. Oh, that alluring voice of his. And and the more children um, that we have across the country, uh, together with. And, and yet you weren't in the mood. I, it's it's strange, yeah, isn't it? I, just... got, I, think, I think it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> that old King Missile song, Detachable Penis? Yeah. <laughs> I think it ran away and, and will never come back. Look, um, interestingly that, you know... This Josh, happens all the time. It's Josh is encouraging uh, a baby boom to help the uh, recovery of the economy because that will increase demand if there's more babies. As opposed now, to just, like, supporting people, which would increase demand immediately. He was asked what they would cutting. do... Yeah, exactly. He was asked what they would do to help support people, and, and he gave some some waffly answer. And, you know, there's things he could have said that, that possibly would have won some people over, like continuation of free childcare. We're going to look at <laughs> yeah. extending that. That would have been really... At the same time, they're cutting free childcare to yeah. be like, hey... Yeah, but- also, can you have another kid? But also, and fact- an important point on the childcare thing, as was noted uh, by one of the the the, the black uh, the Schwartz media things this week. I'm not sure whether it's the Saturday paper or the monthly. Uh, I heard it on the 7 a.m. podcast, which again I recommend listening to each weekday. Uh, it was pointed out that that decision 
to cut job keeper support for the childcare industry was made by a committee with no women on it. Yeah, absolutely. And women who are traditionally punished for, you know, you, they've lower super, all of these sorts of things because they have to stay from home, work from home, just, just have another couple kids in a time of financial uncertainty. What's really fantastic, so... That, that comes back to that thing that, yes, financial uncertainty, the last thing you want is more expense. My God, and right? kids are not cheap, right? What, what are you talking about? These two children we have um, and, and our other child make it really dirt cheap. The great thing is, so parenting payment is uh, something you get from the government. It's a very small payment you get fortnightly well, it's, for 18 it's, weeks after it's, you have it's a child. It's tested based on your spouse. But, but it's also... Over a certain level, you don't get it. Yeah, over a certain job, level, you don't get it. Job breeder. No, it's... Job it's breeder. Not. But uh, the... Um, the thing about it is, is you could you have to have been working the previous year. You can only have eight weeks off during that year, not leave or something, but eight eight oh, unpaid is, weeks. This is for parental leave. Not, this, this, is, this is the parenting. Sorry, sorry. This sorry. This, this is, is parental leave. Not, this not, is not the parental leave payment that you get after having a baby. Yeah, not the ongoing thing. That, so yeah, you, no, it's eighteen. It. It's eighteen weeks pay. And it's 18 weeks at minimum and wage. And the kids are growing up, right. Exactly. It's 18 weeks at minimum 18, wage. 18 weeks and then they've got a job. And, and yeah. they've done this great thing, apparently, quote unquote, uh, this past year. They're at 18-week-old kinder. Which is um, they've made it so that after 12 weeks, you can go back to work and you can use those additional six weeks whenever you want over the next two years. So if you want to use them during, you know, a, take a day off a week. So, you know, 18 weeks is... Is, if you're recovering from a cesarean, you're not even ready to drive before six weeks and then 12, 18. But if you haven't worked for eight weeks of the previous year, you don't qualify. They yeah, have Because you can't have poor people getting more money. You can't have like people on mm-hmm. Centrelink getting more money. And so they basically said that if you've lost your job because of COVID or you can't find work because of COVID, you'd no longer qualify for parenting payment. Welcome to the new world. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is bullshit. And so he's sitting here talking about, you know, people having more children, people increasing this when there's no job security out there. They're cutting JobKeeper. There's, uh, they might not get their parental leave payment. They might not, you know, they won't get free childcare and they'll be punished for it in their super if they even have a job because they've been laid off because of COVID. So seriously, did he just ask us everybody to have new ki- more kids without actually announcing anything to assist? Yeah. <laughs> so so was, the, the entire pitch is... Have more ladies, kids. ladies... Josh is asking you. <laughs> yeah. One for the mother, one for the father, and one for the country. Hey, ladies. And that will be good for the economy. I'm going to be looking up pictures of Josh after this. You know. <laughs> what is it? That's so. I mean, what, what, is, what does this do? I mean, how how can I help as a chap who prefers chaps? What does Josh want me to do here? Take well, one for the team. Like <laughs> find find a find a willing willing room somewhere that you can um, you know. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I'll just Do your thing for the country. The, I'll just retire to the other room with a, with a glass jar. I'm so, yeah, exactly. This podcast became maybe, maybe there's very, like an very incubation box. <laughs> anyway, um, can I – by the way, on that whole – because I, I don't know if we've ever really talked about the how broken um, means testing is in the first place, but the whole like – Exactly. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Kitty doesn't like it. Have we? I don't know. Have we talked about the, 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 the whole point? The idea. So the reason why there's that job requirement beforehand is because they hated the idea that poor people who are receiving so much less because we're starving them, and we're not going to starve the middle class people who we're offering this childcare to. We're going to be stingy about the length of it, but we're going to make the rate better than you know what somebody who's on Newstart gets, 
we're still going to have this two tier of even within the, the the social security system. So the whole point of having a means test there is so that you can keep the normal payment for unemployed people starvingly low and the justification of that being but they should be working even though there's like going to be 9% unemployment which makes that justification ludicrous every time there's means testing I would rather that there was that rich people screw it let rich people have these things let 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 them all access these these low payments and tax them to pay for it and yes you know you're, you're, you're taxing them and then spending it on them but if the, the point of means testing is that you end up ruling out people who need it and in relation to things like health, you are you basically give rich people the idea that um, these services are for the poor, not for them, so they don't have to worry about them being funded properly. Yeah. Like Medicare, the whole idea of the private health system is it, it detaches the people with power and influence and resources from the public health system that needs that needs them to fund it. And the only way that they're going to do that properly and it's not going to be a political problem is if they have to use it. We saw some of that with the increased job seeker uh, payments because with a whole lot of uh, newly unemployed people who hadn't enjoyed the thrills and spills mm. of, of applying for something with Centrelink, uh, we almost had some language creeping into Frydenberg's statements a couple of months back that implied they were more worthy oh, of receiving it, it was quite these explicit. benefits. Mm. And, and, and I can see why they need to do that because if you're trying to sell to the middle class that the poor have it pretty good, you don't want the middle class experiencing what the poor are actually experiencing personally. It kind of, it'll, it, they'll remember that. It felt with his language that they were trying to create a two-tier system of people and benefits, which was the undeserving poor who had the audacity to be unemployed during this period of high unemployment already, and you who just have had this unfortunate thing happen, who are a bit more deserving and that you're the person we're doing it for. Well, it's one of the criteria. When you when people apply for Centrelink, um, they're asking questions whether your situation is due to COVID-19 or not, as if being unemployed for another reason makes you less deserving. But COVID-19, oh, okay, it's fine. I don't, also, they've actually improved the situation with call, calling Centrelink. So the um, wait times are dramatically down now than they were beforehand. Basically, because people who they are hoping to get back into the workforce and voting for them to screw the poor in the future are currently having to use that system, they are making sure that it's not as bad as usual. Once all those people are back, once the unemployment rate goes down and they can then start turning the screws to the people who are in more, more drastic situations ongoing... They bloody will, but they'll, they'll be working on the basis that there's a whole lot of people who experience it temporarily who are like, oh, it wasn't that bad. One of the things I've been looking at, in fact, in some detail, uh, is the set of changes that Services Australia has been uh, trying to push through. Uh, and, of course, the Minister for Incom uh, uh, Services Australia, uh, the wonderful Stuart Robert, MP. Well, here's the reason why this this podcast was buffering a moment ago because he was just using he was just downloading stuff on his internet again. A great public <laughs> expense. He just bu he slows it down for all of us. Was it twelve thousand dollars a month or something? You can get unlimited four G for about two hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So whenever your NBN buffers, you can blame yeah. you can blame Malcolm, but you can also blame Stuart Robert because Mark, Malcolm left the shitty infrastructure in place, but Stuart Robert is the one who's using up all the all the nation's capacity at any moment. <laughs> He gave a speech uh, the other day at the National Press Club again, which was on the theme of I'm from the government, I'm here to help and how Services Australia new thing uh, and their thing is to create delightful experiences with the government. So he's obviously been drinking the startup 
Kool-Aid <laughs> there. And, uh, and, and as Cop was saying, there should, there'll be more transparency. Transparency is now one of their, their key catchphrases, for want of a better word. They had a couple of other things. It's transparency and it's service and, and whatever. So being able to answer the phone was obviously an important first step in that. And, and like, well done you, Stuart Robert. You're answering the phone now. Uh, but transparency and it was in terms of oh yes you'll have a a portal and a dashboard and you'll see what payments you're getting and how they've been calculated and so on i guess that's not transparency as such that's just documentation it's just bookkeeping uh and at the same time when you're talking about transparency why are you stringing out every freedom of information application uh to the, the, the maximum extent possible and even then not achieving your targets. Oh, hey, to, to... to be fair, they are committed to transparency of of the the private records of Centrelink recipients who criticise them uh, in the media. <laughs> they're, they're committed to the transparently release. Yeah, to releasing those friendly news corp journalists. They're happy about that kind of transparency. Oh dear. Related to being able to answer the phone, Serco has had to stand down its very large Melbourne call centre staff as of Thursday this week, due to the fact that there are six cases of COVID related to the call centre. They're connected to other other outbreaks. So they have a... But this is the, this is the COVID call centre. So you're saying Serco, they gave this gig to Serco? Yeah, so Serco's oh, been doing it. They gave them 24 hours notice and have been told that they're going to be taking unpaid leave. God, Serco. To be fair, uh, Jeremy, there are very few organisations that can stand up a call centre uh, of that scale in a short amount of time. Uh, this is not a defense of Circo's no, let's practices not so, so, or, or work in any other way. Yeah. Does anybody have uh, some favourite saying, hits of Circo just well, before, just in case anybody's a bit unclear about who Circo uh, are? Circo's greatest hits? Anybody got a... Do, 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 do. Circo Group PLC is a British provider of public services. In the UK, it runs ferries, railways, bicycle sharing, prisons, gyms, and swimming pools. It provides electronic tags for criminals and asylum seekers, maintenance and support services for hospitals and the military, garbage collection, and IT support. It's also covered up the sexual abuse of immigrants, used them as cheap labour, paying as little as a pound an hour, and committed fraud. In Australia, Serco runs contact centres, parks, parking metres, prisons and, of course, immigration detention centres. Under Serco, up to 2013, there was an increase of deaths in custody and self-harm, a deterioration of facilities and a decline of the physical and mental health of detainees and staff. Serco blamed the detainees for, quote, creating a culture of self-harm as a bargaining tool. In 2017, the Paradise Papers said Serco had a history of problems, failures, fatal errors and overcharging. Serco's annual revenue is £3.2 billion or more than $5.8 billion Australian dollars. Serco, providing innovative solutions to some of the most complex challenges facing governments. Having worked as in operations at a very large call center, which is part of a big call center chain back in North America called Cytel, I can agree ah, yes. that... Cytel is in Australia. Yeah. Oh, are they? See, it's been, it's yeah. been almost 20 years. They're involved in some uh, unfortunate dealings with the state government in Victoria, ah. I think is probably the, uh, Interesting. the most polite Interesting. way of saying that. Uh, well, I, I can say that setting up a large account and the um, ability to get people on board, to get the equipment on board, to do everything, 
is is something that is quite limited. Absolutely, I still think Cirque are pretty crap and treat their employees crappily. But like, the fact that they have this, the fact that they have this call center that is dedicated pretty much to dealing with this excess uh, demand that CenturyLink has has now been st- stood down. That's going to have a really interesting impact. I made the same point in relation to the nine towers in Melbourne, the public housing towers that were locked down extremely quickly uh, due to COVID nineteen outbreaks. When the police came in and did that, now putting aside that doing it so quickly was really bad for those people and, and they weren't being treated the same way as people in Leafia's suburb. No, we, 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 in Leafia's suburbs, you got like midnight the next day when they've actually locked us down. We got like you know, 36 hours or something too. Well, that's right. And these people got like about 90 minutes or something. They got the that police order. arriving at, their, at, at the front. Yes. But putting aside the horrible, horrible nature of that decision... People are saying, oh, they shouldn't be with police, whatever. And I say, okay, who else can provide 400 people with a command structure on two hours' notice? And that's part of my point, that we're having to do these stop gaps. These, so the police are being forced to do things that really are not a, not a good, they're not good at, and we're no. being forced to, in order to have Centrelink uh, managed properly, they've got to go to private companies like Serco with Serco's disturbing history. Whereas if we were running the state, if the governments were running things properly, you know, we wouldn't have had the, the coming from so far behind in the first place. Centrelink would have had not contracted staff through Serco, it would have actual Centrelink staff employed by the government long-term, you know, people who are, that's their job and has been for a long time. You would have, the government would have those people in place and it wouldn't need to do this sort of surge staffing. And same with Victoria. Like, if there were sufficient public services, they would be able to manage these things without going, oh, shit, what have we got? I guess the police. Exactly. In Canberra, when Centrelink did need a lot more people on the phones, they actually pulled staff out of other departments that weren't needed to do urgent work, such as agriculture and whatever. And I I, I did see uh, a senior public servant say that was actually quite good for them because they were from departments uh, where normally they don't speak to the public and suddenly for the first time they were spending all day talking to actual citizens. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was a good experience for them. Not for the citizens. It was a good experience for the public servants. I don't know whether the citizens got well, a good Well, they also got to stay in Canberra rather than being sent to, what is it, Armadale, that they're going to all be sent now for, to placate or where, Barnaby. Where, oh, uh, yes. So, all right, let's oh. let's move on from this terrifying... Uh, and, I, and, look, I, I'm feeling thoroughly depressed that we don't have an opposition that's standing up for this and all, all the opposition is prepared to do is try to score points in the most unconstructive way. They're <laughs> um, not not actually fighting on any on any of the real substance that, that they where they need to go. It's all like short term nonsense that actually undermines their overall position on on their overall message and it helps the libs. It's really dumb. But I, f- I feel like we've I mean I don't know what we can do other than just <laughs> demand better from the ALP. Well, vote for the start Greens. Start another podcast. Well uh, it's, it's it is a pandemic, and, and I'm sure there's a bunch of ABC <laughs> personalities that would like to give us some kind of patronizing message about about, you know, podcasts and so forth again. I mean, that went down so well last time. <laughs> Do we want to, while we're talking about Denise and her experience uh, in, uh, uh, well, <laughs> with, with the corporate world, mm. I understand that Denise is responsible for making a whole lot of people very unhappy this week, a whole bunch of uh, not snowflakes who are easily triggered. These are people who are definitely not in any way easily triggered, definitely not snowflakes. Oh, here we These go. are members of the public who are uh, outraged that uh, a cheese manufacturer is changing the name of cheese. And apparently it turns out... That's Denise's fault. Yeah, single-handedly. Can you explain this? Single-handedly. Justify your behaviour? <laughs> a few months ago, I did some market research 
and it was for cheese. And about two thirds of the way through, you realized after they ask you all these generic questions about which packet would you pick out of these 12 like currently existing ones? Why would you do that? And, and that sort of thing. You get to who it's from and it was coon cheese that was behind it. And they were looking to at- To international listeners, we in Australia literally have a cheese that up until they renamed the packaging now because this is what this is all about, was literally until 2020 called coon cheese. C-O-O-N. Yes, and one of the things that they were talking about was uh, in the rebranding that they're looking at was making it very obvious that it was named for the man who innovated and created this idea. So so his name is E.W. Kuhn of Philadelphia, and in August 1923, uh, he put on the market uh, some, well, processed cheese. He invented processed cheese, basically, that you make those cheese slices that both feel and taste like they're made of plastic. So hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. So basically any cheese that follows that process. So basically coon cheese, it wasn't even a good name for the cheese because it described, it's like calling all milk, you know, Pasteur milk or something. Like have they have that be the brand, whereas it's like that, that would describe craft singles as well as it describes this particular type of cheese. So it's actually a dumb... Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, yes. E. W. Coons, uh, U.S. Patent Number One Five Seven Nine One Nine Six. A process for ripening cheese. Yeah. Uh, and so he's not rah, even rah, Australian. Rah, rah. He's not even from here. It's, no, it's from Philadelphia. He didn't even found the company. No. So it's there's not even really a connection. But they asked, you know, so it was all like E. W. Coon all over the packaging. So they so. thought they could keep the name Coon, but I by by be really clear, this we're not being racist. It's just his okay. name. And the comment I left is that maybe it comes from the fact that I'm from North America, but when I moved here, I found the name incredibly offensive. I couldn't understand why they named it. And I don't tend to buy the cheese because I just look at it and I go, no, this is awful. And I obviously, that single comment that I left on market research is obviously what has changed everything. So the the company is going to change the name. Uh, Do do we know what they're going to call it? No, they're, they're considering what they're going to do. Okay, so but but it's made a lot of people. It's, in the beginning, Coon Cheese changed its name. This has made a lot of people very upset, and has been widely considered a bad move. <laughs> no, um, well, no, because this just follows on from those other uh, things, like the name of the lollies being changed. Oh, I mean that made oh, everybody very upset. Look, there's a whole range of products which were named certainly back in this same sort of period, early part of the 20th century, maybe back in the the 1800s. I mean, there's Darky Toothpaste. Uh, which which had a picture of a a, a minstrelly sort of chap, oh, that like horrible. a white minstrel yeah. show so, kind of figure. That's that's still in production. It's now called Dali toothpaste. Oh, Still with the same. The lollies, the lollies are not called fags anymore. They're called fads and stuff like that. They changed a bunch of them in yes. there. Yeah. Well, and it's like in America, they're changing Mrs. Butterworths and the logo, and they're changing Old Ben and the logo because you know these happy black servant looking people that are the faces and of these brands were considered not to be appropriate there's another one in the united states too isn't it a a, a jemima or a aunt jemima Jemima, and that's another one that's changing yeah so this is a corporate world being like hmm it's a bit on the nose uh probably better for us at this point to change and and to sort of you know maybe we should enter the 21st century at some point and it's reacted to by all the right-wing culture warrior shit who don't want to deal with what blm and what's actually being pushed which is hey we need to actually address structural racism. We need to, you know, the police need to actually be being overseen by other 
but, but there needs to be actual oversight. They need to, you need to be having you know, protections for whistleblowers. We need to be stopping this culture of race. That's just within the police. Like, and they're also they're, talking about things like the Raise the Age campaign is a big yeah. part of Yeah, oh, it. that's a big thing we should definitely highlight at the moment. Yes, uh, look on Twitter for hashtag Raise, raise the Age. Um, that the idea of the, the number of children who are 10 years old who are almost, you know, they're, they're, they don't do this to uh, privileged middle-class white children, but there are a lot, a lot of Aboriginal children in the Northern Territory and Western Australia who are chucked in jail at 10. You know, you imagine what you... For stealing ice cream mm. level Just deranged. Crime. So, yes, that is a genuine thing that, that is coming up to be considered uh, in probably between this t- podcast and the next podcast, which is definitely you should definitely look at and get, at least add your name to the petition and, and follow that more closely. But the substantive stuff that we're seeking, be the, 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 the movement which is seeking change on these issues is seeking, they're not seeking that corporate structures change product names. That's not the, the focus of it. There, is, there are substantial things that are being pushed. But it, corporate, the corporate world is beginning to recognise that having these names, calling a cheese coon, regardless of, it's a racial slur, regardless of whether it was somebody's name in America, um, it doesn't really matter because what's, and clearly they were trying with the focus group to be like, can we get away with keeping the name if we ID, make it really clear it's the person? No, because the bottom line is Australia has a problem with race. Racial slurs just high and it being like prominent and accepted and mainstream which is what they want their cheese to be sends the message that actually australia doesn't give a shit about this stuff and it's happy to use things that are you know connected with and reminiscent of and and, and a reflection of um not only our history but our ongoing contempt for indigenous people and and racial minorities and it's for if you're a corporate from the corporate side that's a bad look and from the consumer side it's not so much that those names offend uh, us as we go past them so much it's more that it is a reflection that company doesn't give a shit and that that we live in a world in which this kind of slur is still being normalized and that's how far it's a reflection of how far we are from achieving the substantive stuff it's more a reflection of it rather than the point but if you're a right-wing media outlet you want to pretend that that's all you don't want to address the substantive stuff you want to pretend that all the lefties want these snowflakes are out there whinging about coon cheese that wasn't the point of BLM it's got nothing to, nobody was out there protesting, what do we want? The name of Coon Cheese changed by its corporate overlords. Where do we want it? Probably 50 years ago would have been a good <sighs> idea. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about this one overnight, and part of me wants to say that, hey, look, a certain string of letters can have multiple meanings. Uh, I, you know, you have a cat there in the background. Uh, I can use the word pussy to describe that cat. In another context, it is inappropriate for me to use that, yes. that that word. And in the context, yeah, like we get it. We're, we're humans. It has a context. And part of me wants to say that if there is this bloke, E.W. Coon of, of Philadelphia, um, you know, if, if we want to defuse that a little bit, we could have a nice little woodcut portrait of him on the label and call it E.W. Coon cheese or something. So part of me wants to think that people can sort these things out in their head. But then when I look at the further stories, uh, I see Indigenous people on camera saying it's good that the name is going to change, etc., etc. And I suppose, yeah. And then I remember back to when I was a kid, we did know the word. And, of course, we'd all have a bit of a snicker about it, which kind of normalises the use of the word to describe a certain group of people. And I go, no, that's, you know, that's... That's not right. And that word, now I'm very conscious of the fact that we've been saying the word coon for 
you know, a while. Oh, what's problematic what about three say. white people using the word coon in a podcast repeatedly? <laughs> I, I know. And, and I want to flag that linguists, linguists have this problem all the time. I did study linguistics. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the use-mention dichotomy. We're not using the word, we're mentioning the word. Mm. But it still, yeah. it still is that sound in everyone's ears and it feels uncomfortable and now I'm feeling yeah. uncomfortable about it. But let's say, uh, you know, I thought, okay, we knew it normalised the word and it's a word that I don't think has been reclaimed, whereas words like queer have has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whore by many many people in the, the, the sex industry, sex worker industry and so on, they have reclaimed the word and that's great. Uh, but this one, as far as I know, has not been. Now, I don't know whether that makes a difference, but what's made a difference for me in the last 24 hours is simply that the people on the receiving end of this kind of racial slur are pleased that it's being changed yeah. and good. Yeah. Good, therefore... It's not my choice. I don't really care what the cheese is called, but they do. And good, change it then. And so obviously we, I, th- I think that when, for people who are not affected by a slur, sh- we should be making special efforts to contemplate how that could be experienced by people who are affected by it and have been historically. And there's two issues here. One of them is if you're a company and you're using a name that has a, a vicious historical background, um, using that... And particularly on the basis of, hey, it's been, it's our history as a company, but we're not going to pay any attention to the history of the word is, is pretty stupid. Uh, you're, you're basically taking on board the, the um, connotations of that history, whether you want to or not, because that word, your company was still selling that, that product during a time when that word was at the peak of its power. It's, it's, and, and to think that that's fine, you're sending a message that you were fine with that sort of stuff. So it's rubbish on a company level, but more than that, yes, words... Whether, whether a group can reclaim a word or not, people outside that group using that word, um, it's the only reason why it's not threatening from people within that group is because it's implied that, well, they can't, they would have to be self-hating to be using that word in the negative sense. Um, so the, the implication is if you're within the group, it's not as unacceptable to use it because you're not using it to attack yourself. But anybody outside the group using it, it's in a connotation where people outside the group have used that as an oppressive word for a long time and it can't be separated from that context. What's that song with the lyric, don't call me a faggot unless you're a friend? Mm. Yeah. So I think, I, I, look, I, I, I do love that the people who are having the biggest uh, tanty about this are the right-wingers who are pretending that it's some kind of an attack on them, that any kind of concession to history is denying history. Anything recognising the history of a word and reacting to it in the light of that history is somehow erasing that history. No, erasing the history is pretending that that word has no history and is neutral. Of course it isn't. We're not the ones erasing the history. And the same thing with the um, statue. Did you say the chaser had a thing? Like they have a, a, a statue maker. Um, they've got a skit and it's a statue maker being like, well, we, we're trying to make all the racist statues because uh, it's a great business model. They get torn down and then we get to make another statue. Um, <laughs> Go and, capitalism. Yeah. Um, we're very upset that uh, the, the New South Wales government is uh, sending police to guard the statues, the racist statues that we've made, because they're not getting torn down and we can't make new ones. Think of the, think of the employment opportunities. Um, but, again, that's not so much that we're trying to pretend that that, that history didn't happen, that Lachlan Macquarie didn't exist. We're saying if you have a statue honouring Lachlan Macquarie, then you're saying that what Lachlan Macquarie did is worthy okay. of celebration in 2020. Uh, no. <laughs> no. 
there, there needs to be a record. And, and it says we don't care what he did, the negative stuff that he did. We are only going to pretend that we like you know, the stuff that we like outweighs all that negative stuff and we don't want to hear anything about it, but you're the ones erasing history. Anyway, uh, Denise, would you want to apologise to all the people who have staked their entire personal identity on that cheese being called Coon? No. Well, no. Well, no. We, gave, we gave her an opportunity. Anyway, no. we tried. Sorry, sorry. Who bases, sorry Ray, <laughs> who bases their personal identity on cheese? Well, from some of the people commenting on these posts and these news articles, apparently a lot of people... They're never going to buy coon cheese again. And that's really like, hard for them because they've now got to find a racistly named cheese that isn't coon cheese. And what like have they got? What are their going options? to buy those red lollies and those brown lollies that aren't named those other things, aren't going to be named those other things either. Like, they... Who will think of the people who, are, who want to base their, per, their purchases of, of cheese and confectionery on racist names? Like, it's getting increasingly hard for them, and I don't think that there is enough sympathy, empathy, and, and resources. Ah. Maybe they deserve it. Maybe, maybe the, the COVID recovery should be you know, b- based on giving more funds to people who are upset about the name changes of cheese. Maybe they would spend it in the economy setting up their own cheese manufacturer with a racist name. Maybe they should apply for job cheeser. <laughs> So there is actually... No, no, that's the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, fine. Okay. As good as Job Cheeser is, there is one bit of good news that we should mention, which while it's good news, it's also a bit of wow, Australia, your shit news. Are you doing an Australia versus humanity? We, We got to the end. We were, we were happy and peaking, and now you're going to bring up Australia versus humanity. Well, I'm just going to say that uh, Beirut's Bhutani has been granted refugee status in New Zealand. Right. Which is fantastic for him. Ah. What the fuck are we doing here? Anyway, oh. Oh, it's some God. good news. He at least got refugee status there. See, now you mentioned Australia vs. Humanity. Now I've got to mention that Peter Dutton is, like, amping up the attacks on the, the Biloela family. Like, oh. he's got nothing. Oh, my God. Actually, if we want to do a Peter... Okay, so that's horrific no, and no, depressing. No, no, no. But if we want to do... Did you see the Daniel Andrews retort to Peter... Peter Dutton was like, well, Victoria should be uh, coming back to us and asking for more help. And, and Daniel Andrews' slam was, oh, no, we do ask for help. But when I need help... I'll be asking the Prime Minister, not the guy who he beat in a party room ballot. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. So, uh, Suryarian, thank you for coming back on. Now, I actually did get you back on because I specifically wanted to talk about what had happened with the COVID safe app. And now that we've reached the end, <laughs> let's do it as a stuck in my craw for next week. <laughs> oh, it'll still be rubbish yeah, next week. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get an update on that for, for next week. But thank you so much for coming back on. How can people find, where can people find you on the, as if people listening to this podcast don't know where they can find Stilgarian on the toots and on the, on the podcast, but... Uh, just just Google for Stilgarian. If you don't know how to spell that, it doesn't matter. The Google will sort it out. Really? Or I'm just like uh, randomly look for guess. the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or look for the podcast, the 9 p.m. edict, which is the worst and most ranty thing. It's it's as I keep saying, it's that rare thing, uh, a middle-aged or older white man complaining about things. Uh, it's a new concept in podcasting. Hmm. I like it. I, I mean, it's radical. I think you can work on the sizzle. Uh, you can listen to my podcast. It's the worst. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, uh, but yes, obviously. And, and uh, Stilgarian. It's a bit more sweary than that. Stilgarian on the toots as well. Yes. So we'll ha- have you back for to do a second micro next week. And Denise, where can people find you? Uh, Dean C on Twitter. At Dean C on Twitter. All right. Uh, and we are at Well May We Say on Twitter. If you have thought you would like to discuss anything we've been discussing, at Well May We Say on Twitter would be lovely. Thank you very much to all of our. Uh, Patreon subscribers, you got how the podcast keeps going. Thank you for doing for, for continuing to support us in these trying times. Thank you to Robin Gray for the music and Alex Lum for the artwork. And we will look forward to seeing you all and talking with you all about the horrors of what's going on very shortly. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.
find Will May We Say at uh, willmaywesay.com or in the usual podcast places. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production, but that one wasn't. Sorry.